Good morning. This is K. Fred at 109.6 on your radio dial. I'll be your Bible teacher this morning. It's so good to start Sunday morning with people who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Amen. Good morning, Living Word. Uh, that was just my that was my radio thing. I never really that never got off the ground. It never materialized. You can see why. <laughs> but it's so good to have. Huh? WVOG. Ooh, that's old. Yeah, you're telling your age, man. And he, he was on there. Well, anyway, uh, it's good to have everybody back. Uh, incredible lesson last week. Um, and, we, and God just did some incredible things on last week. And I pray that uh, you were edified and built up according to the word of God. Um, we looked at what the gospel is and uh, the good news. And so today we're going to take a look at something that's very important to all of us. And we're going to take a look at the power of God's word. Somebody say word. Yeah, so we're going to try to get you word up today. You know, back in the 70s, you used to always say when they agree with some word to your mother. You know, that's for people in the 70s uh, probably know about it. You youngsters, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Amen. You do remember that? So, so we will get a word from the Father. <laughs> Amen. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done, what you are continuing to do, and what you're going to do uh, futuristically. We just thank you how you have blessed, empowered your people that we may be living epistles of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we will just display the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God clearly seen and what you've done in and through our lives. Today, I pray that you empower us, open up our spiritual ears, our eyes and our hearts, that we may understand and comprehend the truth of your word. So that, Father, in the midst of darkness, we can allow the light of the love of Jesus Christ to shine through us. And Lord, I ask that uh, I will be the mouthpiece that you've called me to be this morning, that your Holy Spirit will empower me to speak those truths, those things that should be and need to be said. And I ask and I submit myself to the work of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of this. And let us not leave the way we came in this place. We'll give you glory and honor in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, this morning, welcome to week two. We're going to take a look at the power of God's word. In this week, the lesson we want to look at God, the power of God's word. We believe that God's word is powerful to do everything it claims to say it can do. My wife always say this, the word will work for you if you work it. If you work it. Um, why is the Bible powerful? Why is it not like any other book that is written? Well, 2 Timothy tells us what gives this book all of its power and the claims that it says it can do, it doesn't. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for one, teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness is God's standard for living. That's what the Bible does. It trains us to understand how to live out God's standard. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because the Bible is the very breathe out words of God, it is, it is powerful to, number one, accomplish all that it claims to be able to accomplish. It is powerful to accomplish all it claims to accomplish. The Bible is not just a dead book, uh, black and white on paper. The Bible is alive. 
And it is living and active and working in the lives of those who submit to his power. Now, that's, important. that's the important part we need to understand because it's, it cannot be alive. It will not work in the lives of those who do not submit to it. So when you submit to it, it's alive. it becomes alive to you. It begins to work for you. And when you submit to it, Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. And gives us a description of God's word. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and joints of marrows and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the big struggle with a lot of people when they open the book and begin to read it. Satan don't want them to look at it because when you look into the word of God, you're beholding the face of God and it begins to reveal what's really on the inside. He cuts through the chase and get right to the intentions. Amen. Here's what it says. Because the Bible is the very breathe out words of God, it is divine what? Truth. Without error. It is powerful to accomplish all that God intends. It is divine truth. That's something we need to emphasize. It is divine truth. It is not laced with man's opinion. It is, God, how, it is literally how God sees things the way they are. The word of God informs us as to how we should view the world around us, and it gives us an on, the only accurate picture of reality. In other words, what competes what, what the biblical worldview is, all the others' worldview. So if we have a biblical worldview, we're able to see the world through the lens of God, how he sees it, the reality of how things really are. In this book, according to David Noble, here's what he says. If the Bible is truly God's special revelation to man, as we believe it is, then the only completely accurate view of the world must be founded on Scripture. A biblical worldview is the only worldview that allows us to see things for what they really are. Because we know that God's word is the only source of divine revelation that informs every aspect of our life. We, we want to make it a priority. Somebody say priority. We want to make it a priority to maintain our commitment to keep God's word as the center point of everything that we do here at Living Word. It becomes the centerpiece. Everything else around it is center. I love the song that Israel wrote, Jesus at the center of it all. And it has to be in every aspect of our lives. We cannot compartmentalize our existence as a believer. Well, here's who I am at my job. Here's who I am at church. Here's who I am on the golf course or the basketball court, whatever. I'm fishing. The, the, the gospel, the word of God has to be the center of everything that we do. So what does the Bible say about itself and its power in our lives? Let's take a look at, there are four things that the Bible speaks and says about itself. Obviously, the first thing the Bible says about itself, it is like a sword. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have ever cut yourself using a knife. I did that one time trying to learn how to feel like it wasn't pretty. It exposed a lot of things. <laughs> It did. Things that weren't, not, that weren't so pretty. So the first thing the Bible says about itself, it's a sword. And what is the sword does? It cuts and divides. Hebrews chapter 4 gives us a very accurate picture of this. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's repeating this again. Piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and the joints of the marrow and discerning of thoughts and intents of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word is, like, is the sharpest surgical scalpel 
It cuts through layers of excuses, pride, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, hurts, rejections, anger, and doubts. It cuts with the ultimate precision. Our very own thoughts and intentions cannot be hidden when subjected to the exposing work of the living word. And I love that, living word. It was not by chance that when Pastor Renee was called to start this church, he named the church by, under God's word, living word. Because the word of God is active. And he says, it's not just reading it, it's becoming an active part of our lives every day. Every single day. God's word cuts through hypocrisy. It, ve it reveals what is really in the heart. It cuts through hypocrisy and reveals what's really in the heart. Hebrews 4 tells us that no one is hidden from the exposing power of God's word. Just like the surgical scalpel that cuts to bring healing, so is it with God's word, with the sword of God's word. It doesn't cut to harm or destroy, but it cuts to expose and exposes to bring healing and restoration. That is so important we need to understand. Now, I've often heard, uh, I grew up Pentecostal, so in the old churches, whenever the preacher would say something, he said, now I'm going to step on your toes now, so you can say, amen, oh me. <laughs> I'd rather say, oh man, amen, and oh me on this side of the grave, because the other side, there ain't no more amen and oh me. So we get that right on this side. Amen? So it's, yes, sir. Yes, sir, you can. Refers to his healing and restoration. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 And that's what he does. Amen. Some people say, well, when you come to God, you know, that the world has all these steps, seven steps to this, eight steps to that. I tell God, who says, we only need two steps. You make a step toward him, he comes toward you, and he's done. I love his two-step program. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hebrews 12, th three, through, uh, three, six, 3 through 6 and 11 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. And have you forgotten? The exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline and the chastening of the Lord, nor be weary when he reprove you. For the Lord dis disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. Oh, anybody ever had a parent that discipline? You know, and they, you know, I used to hate and say, you know what, this is going to hurt me as much as you want. Okay, well, give me the strap. <laughs> you know, my parents dared never ask me to go get a, a, a say, go outside and go get the switch because I would come back with a twig. <laughs> but the people need to understand if we, if we are God's children, he says that those that he loves, he disciplines, and it's only that discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it, it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, God's standard to those who have been trained by it. God's word is not a Q-tip that tickles, but it's like a sharp double-edged sword that is used by the Holy Spirit to produce supernatural change in our lives. Again, it is alive. It is actively working. 
here's what it does. To cut and to expose, to correct and discipline, to wound and then to heal. The great reformer Martin Luther says this about the word of God. The word of God is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. You see, when we understand the power of the word of God, it's impossible for us to just extend, put an extended amount of time away from our eyesight viewing what God has said because the very essence of who we are and who we're called to be and how we're called to live flows from the pages of 66 books that is highly impacting lives and has always impacted lives today and will forever do it. So we see that the word of God is a sword that cuts and divides. Number two, we see that the word of God is a seed. Somebody say seed. And as any other seed in Genesis, God gave it a principle, the seed that says everything will produce after its own kind. What does it say? The seed will produce a harvest. Matthew 13, 23 says, as for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. It indeed bears fruit and yields. And one sees a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. The reason why it says the Bible is like, the word of God is like seed, is that it is impossible to take that word of God and place it in your heart and not see a harvest that comes from it. We see that the, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, Isaiah says, as the word of God is like the snow and the rain that comes down from the heavens and doesn't return back to the heavens, but it will accomplish for the purpose that it sent it. I always encourage parents, when children or someone in your family that had a relationship with Jesus Christ know the word of God and they stray off, you can rest assured the word of God will never return void. At some point, that thing will have the ability to get them back where they were. The prodigal son, he says, the Bible said he came to himself. All he needed was a word in his heart. He came to himself. And when he came to himself, he said, I will rise up and go back to my father's house. And that's what the word of God does. Can you turn on the air? You know, because I think we got a lot of people fanning. Okay. So we see that the word of God is for producing your harvest. When God's word is sown on the heart, it has been prepared by the Holy Spirit, it will produce the harvest. Some seed takes a little longer than others to germinate. But the seed of God's word is imperishable. Somebody say imperishable. And it en- what does that mean? It endures forever. There are some people that's a little bit tougher to bring in. You know, if you had two or more children, you know, you can talk to one kid and they'll just melt. But the other one, boy, it's like you have to do a dissertation of discipline to get them to, to line up. But, some, but the, the thing is, God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will prepare the heart to receive the word. So it is imperishable. It endures forever. Isaiah 48 tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word, I, word of our God will stand forever. And why is that? And I share this all the time with my kids in my worldview class. It's that the word is true because it sits outside of your, the realm of your understanding. The word is true. It was true before you got here. It's true when you're here. It's going to be true when you leave. Amen. Amen. First Peter, let's take a look at First Peter 1, 22 and 23. It says, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a what heart? A pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable 
through the living and abiding word of God. And you see, once again, the seed, once it gets inside a heart that is ready, it's producing the type of life. It is producing the kind of change. In my lifetime, I am so excited to have lived and lived long enough and see, like you said, just incredible people's lives just miraculously change and continue to be changed through the word of God. That's why at all costs, we've got to preach the word. At all costs, we've got to teach the word. At all costs, we've got to sing the word. At all costs, we have to live the word. Because that's the only thing that's going to change your heart. The only thing that's going to change the heart. It is through the powerful seed of God's enduring word that men and women, young and old, are born again. This is why we don't waste our time preaching human philosophy. This is why we don't preach pop psychology. This is why we don't hold up human wisdom and vain tradition. Because all of these methods are powerless to produce any supernatural change. But rather, we hold up the word of God. We cast the imperishable seed and we sit back and wait for the Holy Spirit to do his work. You know, there's not a moment, and I'm quite sure um, Pastor Matt believes and experienced the same thing. You know, after you didn't preach the word of God, that's always this thing in the back of your mind. Man, you know, did they understand it? Did I really articulate it the way it needed to be articulated? And here's what I, and I used to struggle with that a long time. You know, just, you know, you make your points and you, you got point A, you got, you know, one, two, and three behind it. But I learned this a long time ago. As long as you say what the book says. You say what the books say, God's going to take care of everything else. And I find it amazing that under the, the preaching and teaching of the word of God, you can hear several hundreds of people hear the same thing and everybody walk away with something different. But that's the active word of God being applied to your circumstance and situation. And then you walk away and because the Holy Spirit does it, man, he makes this look so good. It's like, man, that was amazing. That word was just for me. And then somebody said, that was amazing. Did you talk to my husband? No, I think the Holy Spirit did. But that's what the word does. It cuts through the chase. It gets right where it needs to be. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said, one of the, one of the great ministers of, uh, of the past century. He said, I would rather speak five words out of this book than 50,000 of the, of the philosophers. If we live, if we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. And if we want conversion, we must put more of God's word in our sermons. Revival comes when the word of God is taught, preached, sung, and lived. So not only is the word of God seed, a sword, but the word of God is also a lamp. The word of God is also a lamp. And what does a lamp do? It illuminates and lights a path, making that path a lot easier to travel on. Amen. In Psalms 119.105, it says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. i got a quick story for you. Uh, we were in Africa, and Clyde remembers this. We were uh, one, we, one of the, um, the um, uh, places we went uh, to do this game drive in, uh, on the, um, the, the Mara. We were in tents, and they told us that at a certain time, I think it was 12 midnight, that the lights would go out, the power would go out, and that they gave us a little lantern. And then right about 12 o'clock, you need to have the lantern lit and ready to go. Well, I mean, obviously, we've been in darkness before, so I said, we don't really need to, you know, put, turn the lantern on. And <laughs> so Nadine and I was just talking, and sure enough, at 12 midnight, 
bop, and you just, you heard it, mm. And when I tell you Isaiah, I don't know, Isaiah 63, it talks about gross darkness. I had never been in, a, in darkness where I couldn't even see my hand. And my wife grabbed me with this, with this vice grip. She went, Fatty, it's dark. I'm like, duh. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, I could, we could. And all of a sudden, and the longer the darkness, and then the creatures of the night just started this harmonious communication. They got, whoa, Whoa, and she went, what was that? I said, I don't live here. I don't know what this stuff is. And boy, you remember the longer the night was, and you can just hear these creatures just singing and howling back at each other. I'm like, man, this is darkness. For the first time in my life, I understand what gross darkness really was. And I managed to find that lamp, and I hit that light. And man, you talk about a sigh of relief when I hit that light, and it just illuminated that tent. I'm like, oh. that's what happens to a life that has been walking in sin, Christ, the word of God, comes in the inside and begins to illuminate a life, and you go like, man, this is amazing. That's what the word of God does. And it says this is a lamp that lamps our feet, lights our path. Psalms 119.105 says this, we, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. We live in a dark world. Our culture is surrounded by pervasive darkness. We desperately need light of God's word to shine on the right path for us so that we can walk in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Notice how he describes this generation, crooked and perverse. That's the reason why we need the, the word of God like to be a lamp to us because without it, we think we have righteousness. We think we walk in the right path until we get in the Word. Then it shows us, man, I had no idea I was going that, I was that wrong. So he describes this generation as crooked and perverse. God's Word is a lamp that helps you and I to see through the blinding darkness of this world. I don't know how many of you have ever had the lights off in a bedroom and you decided, well, I can make it, I can navigate myself to the bathroom, and you caught the corner of the dresser or the bed, which is small toe or big toe. Anybody had that glorious experience? If you've never speak in tongues, you will speak in tongues right there, or you will come close to it. But see, that, that's what happened, and we wonder why our culture and our world is, is in such pain because... The fact that they are wandering, groping through darkness and hurting themselves until the light of Jesus Christ comes in. And when the light of Jesus Christ comes in through his word, he begins to reveal to us and light up the path. You're like, wow, this is what was hurting me. This is what was destroying me. I can clearly see now why I was experiencing this kind of pain. We must be careful. I want you to, I want you to do something. Right? We must be careful not to grow accustomed to the darkness of this culture. I want you to put the word, write the word key right next to it. Every now and then I'll just tell you to write a, the word key next to it. We must be careful not to grow accustomed to the darkness of this culture. We cannot turn off the light of God's word in our personal lives or in the church. We need the light more than ever before. As the darkness becomes increasingly dense, we must hold up the light because the light dispels darkness. Now, the reason why I ask you to put that word, put the word key there, when it says we must be careful not to grow accustomed to the darkness in this culture is because we have been given the awesome responsibility of holding up the light so people can see their way. 
And, and there is a tendency when we come accustomed to the darkness that we see, we're going to find out, we're, we're going to start, the enemy will convince us not to leave that light up or begin to turn that light down a little bit because people see it. We can't, you know, the TV does a great job of putting out all the violence over and over. We see it all, and then we become accustomed to it. We become desensitized to it. And if we're not careful, we will begin to agree with the philosophies of man of our day and then begin to question the truth of God's word. Amen. In 1 John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing, was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I was doing a research on that, on John. I don't know, it's not first John, it's just John chapter one, verse one through five. I don't know why the one's there, but I think it's just John chapter one. I did a commentary, I was looking at the commentary on that particular scripture when it says that the, the darkness, Jesus came as that light in the midst of darkness. Every single one of us understand we were made in the image and likeness of God. Born inside of us, created inside of us is the DNA of God to know right, and to know right from wrong. We have what I call the conscience. The word con means wit. Science means knowledge. So when man sins, he sins with the knowledge that it's wrong. That's God's DNA. We were made like him because he gave us his moral compass. His moral compass was in us. And what happened because of the fall, man's moral compass, if you will, his moral understanding became shrouded and clouded to the point where he began to call evil good and good evil. But that existence of the moral compass of God is in each and every one of us. That's why when Jesus came and stood before the religious leaders, how was it that they had studied all of the law? They studied the prophecies. They knew what the word says, and yet the word became flesh, and they couldn't comprehend it. Simply because the moral compass, the understanding of truth that was standing right before them was shrouded in sin, and they couldn't see it, and in self-righteousness. That's why I, I've gone through several churches, went through several churches, went through some, seen some incredible revivals. And the one thing I've seen over and over and over again, when people come to the Lord Jesus Christ and they give their testimony, it never fails. This is what I hear. I cannot believe I was that blind. That's their testimony. I could not believe it. Or here's the other one. Man, when I gave my life to, my life to, my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, it was like my eyes was opened up. Remember when, when in, the, in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now they ate of it. Did they die physically at the time? No, they did not. I believe what happened was there was this bent toward God before the fall. And when they fell, that moral compass inside of them clicked off. And so they were no longer, uh, what God wanted was no longer the priority. So now it was about them. So the rest of their, their lives, the rest of all of humanity is now born with this shrouded compass in terms of their moral understanding. Now, one thing you know, if you've raised a child, you do not need to teach a child how to spit at you or kick you when they're angry. 
That's already built inside of them. Well, why is that? That's that bent towards sin. You know, you don't have to go and say, okay, I'm going to train my little child that when they don't like them to kick people, to throw things, to tell me no in front of people, to really, I'm going to teach my child to scream at me and say, mommy, no. You don't have to teach them that. Why? Because of the fact that 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 bent toward what I want is what happened after the fall. When God created every single human being, he created them with the understanding to bear the light of truth. Satan, because he has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing, cannot accept nor see the error of their ways. So I thought that was interesting because we bear it. But it is the word of God that illuminates that and get us to see where we are. So not only is it seed or a sword or a lamp, now we see that the word of God is a hammer, is a hammer. Now you do know you do not drive a nail in wood with a Q-tip. You do know that. Okay. Interesting experience. For the first time when my father was building a home, um, he asked me to help the guy who was building a home. I said, great, man. I mean, it's, it's in every man to build something with his hands. And, you know, I, you know being left-handed, they didn't make left-handed hammers. So I struggled with that. That was a joke, guys. <laughs> so I'm sitting up here. man. I'm feeling really pretty good. I'm putting studs in the wall, man. I'm just putting, helping with the friend. I'm like, man, this is awesome. And so I'm nailing, putting the, put the nail in there, and I just, and it was pretty cold that particular day. And I just put my hand next to that, and I may have told you the story. I hit that, the hedge of that nail, and that nail jumped off, that hammer head jumped off that nail and caught the side of my hand against that wood, and pow! And I just looked at my hands, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Now, again, because the, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a man of faith and power, the words that flowed out of my mouth were spiritual. I just got to tell you, it was, it was spiritual. It was godly. It was godly. But when you don't know how to handle certain tools adequately, you can hurt yourself. Yeah. About a year and a half ago, my nephew living in, uh, in uh, Ohio, uh, we got a phone call. He was working a miter saw, and they rushed him to the hospital because he completely cut that arm off because he handled the saw wrong. And see, how can something that was meant to do such good work if you're not careful in handling wrong, it could hurt you. Same thing as the word of God, like a hammer. We have to understand. We have to make sure we handle it, this tool, correctly. Now, what does a hammer do? Uh, it says the word of God is like a hammer that will break the rock. Jeremiah 23, 29, the second part of the verse says, It's not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now, what is the reference to this? Why would Jeremiah say that? Because in this 23rd chapter of Jeremiah, he was struggling with the prophets of his day. In essence, they were prophesying is what they were doing. They were involved in sin themselves. They were profaning the worship. They were profaning the, the, the altar. They, was just, they, were, they were prophesying things that God never said. You know, they were living in sin, and the people was worshiping Baal. And Je God gave a word to Jeremiah and says, You tell these people that what the, the prophets that saying, Thus said the Lord, is not from me. And he brought a judgment against them. And then he told them, he says, my word will be like a, like a hammer and it will break a rock in the priest. He said, I'm going to change what you're seeing right before your very eyes. God's word is like a hammer that shatters the hardest heart, crushes the strongest resistance and break down the greatest wall. God's word can reach through the roughest exterior. 
It can touch even those whom we believe to have many layers of bitterness and anger. I think one of the most incredible things about the Word of God is this. Even when we have loved ones that are struggling with forgiveness, all we need to do is make sure we apply the Word of God when we communicate with them, live out the Word of God, and the Word of God is able to get through to the stoniest heart and crush all that thing of pride and arrogance. Here's what Steve Larson said, Pastor Steve Larson. There is no force in the world that compares with the shattering force of the Word of God to overcome all resistance in the day of his power. Little weak men stand in the pulpit with a sledgehammer and they bring the force of, the, of God, the word of God to bear upon the heart that is resistant and it shatters pride and it crushes and smashes self-righteousness. Wow. Now you understand why the Pharisees and the Sadducees struggle with Jesus. Man, when I tell you, I look at some of the things he told these religious leaders and he just cut, I mean, he just cut these boys and he did it publicly, but it was the truth and they didn't want to hear it. And every time he cut them, they just despised him. But that's what truth does. I mean, he hammered that pride. He crushed down those walls and they were just so full of pride. They did not want to allow Jesus Christ to accept who Jesus Christ said he was. That person that you believe will never soften their heart towards God, that person in a moment, in a moment's time, can be crushed under the weight of the word of God. And all resistance gives way to the power of God. All resistance gives way to the power of God. And we need to understand as pastors, we cannot get so caught up in um, the philosophy. There are a lot of Christian writers out there that are getting away from the truth of God's word and giving their opinion and philosophy. Our philosophy and our words are powerless. Satan will never submit to our word unless what we're saying is what God has already said because he understands the power of the word. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in the wilderness for 30 days every time Satan tempted him? Now, he was the living word. He was the word wrapped in flesh. And what did he do to counter every temptation? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is not by chance the Bible says that the word of God is a sword because if you look at Ephesians 6, every single one of the armament is for protection except for one. And that's the word of God. It is the only offensive weapon given to us. It would be senseless for any military man or woman to be trained how to use a weapon. They tear it down and put it back together and then get their assignment, get pushed out of a plane on the front lines and then hit the ground and say this. Oh, I'm in trouble. Why? I left my weapon on the plane. And yet that's what so many believers do. Start their day without their weapon. Your day should begin with the weapon. And end with the weapon. And it's just the weapon will sustain you. The word of God will sustain you throughout the entire day. So he is able. The prophet Jeremiah speaks. The prophet Jeremiah speaks about the hammer of God's word that shatters the rock into pieces. But he also speaks of the new covenant. The new covenant. Picture of God's writing and his law on our hearts and on our hearts, uh, on our new heart of flesh. So he talks about this new covenant and how God says, I will take that heart of stone and remove it 
and give you a heart of flesh and I will write my covenant on your heart. That means I'm going to live out what I've learned from the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit. So we can see that the person that you believe will never soften the heart. God has the ability to crush that. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with your fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now notice what he does. He says, those people who I declare to be my people will be those who allow me to place my law on their heart. Here's the thing I've learned about the heart. The issues of the heart matters because they're matters of the heart. Wherever your heart is, that has the, that's the thing that has a tendency to dictate your emotions. Think about that. He even tells us that where your treasures are, that's where your heart is. And he says, if I'm going to put my word on your heart, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to have an emotional effect, affection for God's word. You're going to look at it and say, Lord, I thank you because this is who you say I am. You will begin to pray the word. You will live the word. You will sing the word. There will never be a time if God has placed his law in your heart that the preaching, teaching, and reading of God's word becomes just an ordinary thing to do because it is tied to your affection. God says, I'm placing on your heart. And wherever your heart is, it is connected to your emotions. That's why a lot of times when you sit next to someone doing a sermon, they get a little excited. You don't want to sit up in the front next to me. I told my wife during worship, I slide all the way to the aisle because I have a tendency to airball people when I'm worshiping. I get excited with the word. I get excited when people are teaching the word of God because it, just, it is the very breath and the very life that we should live. Wow. He said, I was put a new covenant in you. Ezekiel chapter 35, 36, 25, and 26 says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. From all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Look at what the word is doing. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The new covenant is summarized well for us in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I love this scripture. Many of you know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The old has passed away, the new has come. God's word is powerful to do all the things that we have discussed here today in today's class. This is why we wield the sword, we cast the seed, we shine the light, and we swing the hammer. That's why, again, God's word is powerful to do all the things we have discussed here today. What does it do? We wield the sword, we cast the seed, we shine the light, and we swing the hammer. In the first part of it, it says when we swing, we wield the sword, we need to understand that our placement upon the sword should be only, we wield it only under the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. When we as ministers of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, place our hand on the sword. 
we are bound by the limitations of the word of God. It says, do not handle the sword anyway. Do not allow your philosophy to be mixed with this sword. It's either the gospel or nothing. And when we place that sword in our hand, we have to be guided by the Holy Spirit to make sure that when we do swing it, we swing it the way we're supposed to be wielded. And so many people we see handle the sword wrong and so many people are crushed. So not only do we wield the sword, but we cast the seed. Uh, I'm not a farmer. I'm a city boy, born and raised in concrete jungle of New Orleans. And uh, I, I am, I was just, I, I have so many city ways, it's ridiculous. But this is what I learned living here in the country. A farmer doesn't get a bag of seed and just, just scatter, just throws it any kind of way. There is a systematic way that he actually places his seeds. Uh, now, that much is cut. This city boy knows that because I've watched it. He just don't scatter the seed and then be and then done with it. No, there has to be a preparation for the ground, of the ground before the seed is placed there. I learned that because I'm putting down seeds in my yard because I, when I first moved into my house, I didn't do anything to the yard. And if you're in South Louisiana, if you don't do something to the yard, after a while, you got some stuff popping out through the ground that just looks very, very ugly. So now I'm having to now seed, and I didn't want to put down any type of grass or whatever, so I started seeding. And I learned this, that that ground has to be prepared so that it will hold the seed, so that it will produce the harvest that's in the seed. So when we, throw, we put the word of God out as a seed, we just don't throw it out there. It has to be targeted. God, it has to be divinely directed. Lord, what is it that you want me to say in your word? How do you want me to say it? Lord, I need you to breathe into my human spirit so that I can adequately put the seed and place the seed in the ground that is ready to receive it. So the, the hand that wields the sword must be under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So the one that throws the seed must not cast it out in a way that doesn't produce it. It must be placed in a ground where the, the soil is ready to receive it. And then finally, we shine the light. What do we do? We shine the light. We allow the light of the truth of God's word to light our way first. Because you know, if you're holding a light out here, it's not only beneficial to those who are in the darkness, but it's also beneficial to you and I. It's also beneficial to you and I because as we hold up the light of God's word, it has the ability to keep us on track. How many know it's so easy as believers to get slightly off track? And every time we open the word of God, it shines a light on the areas of our lives that we have drifted off. Let me give you an example. Give you a, a, a good example. When you're driving down the highway and you let go, every now and then you let go of the steering wheel and you see that the car starts to drift left or right. Well, that's an indication of several things. One, that tires may be worn, so you need to get that checked. The other big thing may be the car is out of alignment. It's out of alignment. So what do you do? You just don't leave the car in that condition. What do you do? You take it to the mechanic so that they can take a look at the tires, they can take a look at the alignment and fix it so the car can drive in perfect alignment. Well, every time we open the Word of God, that's what the Word of God does because it's always a tendency when we stay away from this too long for us to start doing this. And it's so gradual that we don't even see it. And so it is imperative that as light, we've got to keep the word of God in front of us so that it will shine the areas of our lives that we have now drifted off the path of righteousness. And then finally, we swing the hammer. We swing the hammer. Now remember, in our lesson today, we saw the hammer was not used to destroy, but what it was used for is to crush the hearts of those who are resisting him. 
to crush any pride or arrogance. If we have the hammer in our hand, first of all, the hammer is used not only to crush that heart that is resistant against God, but from time to time, let's turn it back around. There may be some things in our own lives that God might be speaking to us that we may be resistant in or resisting him in. When the truth comes, we're not always ready to just jump on this truth and say, like, okay, God, you, I got to get my anger together. God, I got to give this, I got to give my pride to you. We're not wanting to do that. So that same hammer that crushes any rebellion first starts inside of us. David in Psalms 51 talks about how, God, I need you to purge me with hyssop. Wash me and make me clean. David went through this whole process of how he needed the Lord to work on him. And then he says, after all this, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. But David said, it has to start with me. The sword, the seed, the lamp, the hammer. It first starts with us. And when we, when, when we are able to apply to God's word to our lives, then, from then, people will see it, they will experience it, and they will know the truth that the word of God is true because they see it active in your life. Amen? All right, any questions or comments? Questions or comments about the seed of God's word? Questions or comments? Um, yes, sir. I'm reminded of, of, of one thing when we're talking about the seed and being alive. I'm reminded of one thing. That Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Mm-hmm. He abides in us and we abide in him. But also remember, apart from him, we are nothing. Right, right, right. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to pray that today's word, our lesson, will be edifying to you. And I hope and pray today you see the importance of keeping the word of God in front of us. Because as long as we keep the word of God in front of us, it will, be, it will allow itself, it will activate that thing inside of you. Here's the other thing I want to also say this, and I thank the Holy Spirit for revealing to me. There are many of you in here might be really believing God for a certain direction. You believe in God for, uh, uh, you've been praying about something and you don't know uh, what the direction is. A good place to start is in his word. As we begin to read his word, in his word, he will then begin to reveal to us what we're asking. He will begin to reveal to us directions. He will begin to reveal to us decisions that we're trying to make. So I don't know who this is for, but there's someone in here that's believing God for a certain, doing a certain direction or believing in praying about a certain thing. And he wanted me to just tell you from the word of God, get inside the word of God, and he's going to reveal to you the direction you should take. Amen. Yes, ma'am.
Amen. 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 Mm-hmm. And the word of the word of God encouragement today is that you've seen what the word of God is like a hammer. He can crush through those that's the human pride and that stony heart. So I, I'm encouraged to pray with you as well for your family. And stay faithful. Because God's word is faithful. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. But I pray that the word of God had edified you and that you will uh, take what you've learned. Go back and reread what you, the lesson today. Because I believe in a twice sown seed. It's been given to you. Now go back and read it again and just really take a look at those scriptures because I think God wants to say some things to us. Next week, we're going to take a look at biblical sanctification. That is a word we don't hear very often. Sanctify, because growing up as a Pentecostal person in the 70s, people used to say, oh, you go down to that little sanctified church? <laughs> some of you are probably, if you're old enough to live long enough, you know they talked about that sanctified church. We're going to take a look and see what this sanctification is all about. Amen. Father, we thank you. We know that your word is living and active. And Lord, I pray for your sons and daughters in this building. I pray that you will continue revealing yourself through your word. I pray that you will continue revealing your will and your way to them. When the earth and when the world and cultures are trying to uh, win our hearts and minds toward the philosophies of men and the traditions of men, I pray that we will raise up the standard of God's word against those things that exalt itself against the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and the true knowledge of God. Let us hold the standard high. Let us hold the light high so they can see the path that's marked out before us. May we wield the sword, but only wield it under the inspiration and influence and power of the Holy Spirit. And let us not cast seeds out and ground that is not ready. But Father, we place those seeds in the ground and Lord and we leave it up to you by the power of the Holy Spirit to water that ground to water the seed so that it will not return void Father we thank you for the sword that's able to cut and also let it allow it to, to bleed but also to heal and like the hammer to crush every resistance against you Father we love you and we thank you Lord you have placed those things on their hearts that they're believing for lost loved ones and I stand in agreement with them bring them in Father by your precious word, we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen.